Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the Dutch Direct video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Defending Your Life. Defending Your Life follows Daniel Miller, played by Albert Brooks, during his last day on Earth. Shortly after celebrating his birthday by buying a new car, he accidentally crashes into an oncoming bus and dies. He finds himself in Judgment City, where a council will review key moments from his life to determine if he's sent back to try again or move on. Screenplay by Albert Brooks, directed by Albert Brooks, and released in Limited Cities on March 22, 1991. So again, uh, apologize for any audio quality first, but now let's get into the, the movie. Uh, have you seen Defending Your Life before? Um, I'm gonna say no, even though I remember the begin. Well, I remember when he dies and the whole tram, like going into the tram train thing. Like the wheelchair and the tram yeah. sequence. And then I remember the ending, but I feel like maybe I've just seen those in clips. Because yeah. I don't remember the middle at all, so I'm just going to say no. Okay. <laughs> I, I have, so I guess okay. that's one more point for me. Okay. Um, this, is, this is one of those movies where I think I saw it on HBO for the first time back when it was originally, you know, out. Oh, okay. And I... I don't know why I saw it. I don't remember being in the room with anyone else. I just remember catching it and watching it by myself. And this is one that had a big impact on me at that age. This, the way they present the afterlife in this is kind of what I want the afterlife to be. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't know. You, it's it's tough you to explain. You want to be judged for your whole life? Uh, not even that really. Not necessarily that part of it, but I don't know. The, the The idea that you can go back and you can see like past lives, if that is actually a thing. The fact that you can obviously eat unlimited food and it's the best food you ever had. The fact that you can just do whatever and there's like no stress oh, in your life anymore. Okay. So you the just... idea of, you know, still having something of a normal society but without the troubles of it and then yeah also the ability to go back and look at other parts of your life as if it were a movie i think is really interesting to me but so you just want to live in judgment city for forever i mean the movie doesn't show us what it looks like to move on uh, I want... it's, it's, it's tough to compare it to anything yeah. else but I mean, if Judgment City were like a thing, you would. I don't want see. Any, I don't see anything wrong with it. No, I agree. It's just that 
uh, certain people had certain amount of days like with him he had nine and everyone was like oof like other people have 15 or whatever and I was like well what's the most amount of days and then what's the least amount of days and then yeah, we should probably clarify just in terms of how the trials work they review x number of days of your life yeah. in order to determine whether or not you go on but everyone is in judgment city who recently passed for i think it's five days total so you're reviewing nine days of your life within those five days okay anyway. all right but okay and then i was thinking how did the people how do the people in judgment city the people that work there how did they i know that they're the big brains and but how did that's what I thought um Julia was gonna be like she was gonna stay there and he was gonna move on because it seemed as if she was smart you know how everyone's using like 47 percent of their brains or whatever that's what I was like determining how did those people stay there <laughs> yeah I, I have no idea and the movie doesn't really give clear indication for it and honestly i'm okay with that personally no uh, like if i had to guess i would assume that moving on just means that you are then positioned in a different place within the universe because the way they they structure this afterlife here is that there is no hell right that's that's number one and, and number two is that if you don't prove yourself to be worthy enough of moving on, then you go back to Earth to try again in another life. So the people who do move on, they're not reincarnated. They are moved on to another part of the universe to do something else. So I get that could be now they work at the diner in Judgment City, or maybe they take on some other role and whatever. So moving on would be the equivalent for Julia, I think, in that you know she would then possibly be a prosecutor defender whatever you know? right yeah so but how it exactly works they don't really get into it and that's that's fine yeah it's fine i'm just, I, that was like my biggest question while watching it i was like how did these people stay there because i mean i would want to be a worker there yeah um yeah <laughs> but um, i don't know I, it's just something that's so quaint about it. I don't know. It's, and again, like when I watched this when I was 11, 12 years old and like starting to think about the bigger life yeah. issues and you see this movie that, you know, like presents something that's different than just angel wings and clouds as an afterlife. Right. You know, like that's something that just doesn't happen much in movies and the way that they just, subtly weave in little minor things like oh don't you think you know like you know don't you think your kids miss you and it's like yeah but i have this you know ease about that like just having that little piece of dialogue in there is like comforting to mm -hmm. think that that would be real yeah as a 12 year old okay so we can so, yeah. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> we can just st okay this is another movie um where the lead is turning 
39 and I'm like looking okay we're older than 39 <laughs> this is like um city slickers what didn't Billy Crystal his character turn 39 probably yeah something like that yeah I was just like I think I understand because it's you know right be before you turn 40 and people are like oh my god I'm old when you turn 40 I have I don't know, whatever. But it's just weird to see these people that we grew up knowing. Yeah, turning 39. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just looked up thir 39th birthday for City Slickers as yeah, well. Yeah, but, I mean, he dies on his 39th birthday. Instead of going on a... Well, I mean, you can say that he went on yeah, a trip. <laughs> you get you get a you get a very quick introduction to his life, and it's it's all pretty positive stuff he's celebrating his birthday he's like in a boardroom talking to his co-workers and thanking them he's charming he's funny with them he seems to get along with everyone that he's dealing with um he goes to get his new bmw it looks like he's being taken advantage of by the the salesman but that's what you expect from car salesmen um, and then he's given like these long box cds by one of his friends and he puts on Streisand's something's coming and you know the CDs fall off the seat and so he leans down to pick them up and accidentally swerves into oncoming traffic where there's a bus and then next thing you see is him in a wheelchair right um so, so the way he was driving uh, this movie reminded me well it reminded me of like LA story and then it also, cause, you know, like in the beginning. Yeah, where Steve Martin is like doing all the shortcut stuff. Right, while he's driving too. But then it also reminded me of like, just uh, Grand Canyon when like the, the teenage son is driving in LA. And I was like thinking about how the way he was driving he was driving along with the song so he's like swerving back and forth along with the music and I was like this is scaring me I'm gonna be freaking out because <laughs> I don't want to get yeah. in an accident with that person and I was like I mean I, I've only driven in LA like two or three times in my life and it has given me great anxiety so, like, just seeing someone just, like, flailing along on the streets. But it's a closed set. Yeah, it's, so, but, <laughs> yeah, I know it's not like he's in real traffic, but, you know, just going back and forth, like, kind of cutting people off and then playing Barbara Streisand really loud and people are like, shut up, I don't want to hear that. And he's like, whatever, I'm having, I'm living my own life right now, so I don't care. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but that, it goes straight into him in a wheelchair being wheeled off into this white room and then on the buses and then the trams into a hotel room. Yeah, and I think that they did a, uh, they, Albert Brooks did a good job of yeah. giving a, a very brief introduction to the, the quality of character of this person without drawing it out too much you know it's only a couple scenes and then he's dead and you get into the meat of the movie but you you know you still get a general idea of what he was like back then 
the tram scene i think was was pretty good too where you know like again the movie like tries to sort of answer questions of like what happens when you die and obviously it's not a definitive answer by any means it's just one man's interpretation but it's like one that you know appealed to me and so like it's this idea of like you're in this weird stupor in days and so like you're so disoriented that you can't react because the tram operator is saying you know how many of you like golf raise your hand if you like golf and like, and then, like no one does. happens no one raises their hands like well you're not going to be able to raise your hand quite yet so but just know um so you know there's like little tiny jokes like that mm-hmm. and so they all just kind of get shuffled off into their individual rooms and little details again like there's no locks in any of the hotel doors because there's no need to anymore but they're all shuffled into their own hotel rooms uh, and explained very briefly what's going on but it's very fast moving it's like a processing plant type of a scenario yeah uh, so there's there's not much time to to soak in what you're being told um, and then yeah the next morning you're called in to to get into your trial like immediately so it's just it's very unusual and disorienting in that way that's the part i would not like but you know just the city itself is what i yeah. say i would like you know i i wish there was a little bit more time spent on some of the entertainment aspects of it like you know you have the tv that yeah, has like different afterlife shows yeah like yeah. you have the soap opera and you have like the the game show and the info channel i wish there was like a little bit more of that that would have been fun to see or like show him doing that stuff like going on that game show yeah yeah, they they only show a few different activities. It's mostly eating, but yeah. they do to go to the comedy club, which is where Daniel meets Julia. They go mini golfing. They go to the restaurant. They go but to there's, that, you know, um, pavilion of past lives. Yes, and, and that's about that's, it. Yeah, that's that's about it. I think there's opportunities to play with that a bit more, but I think you know they put such a deep time constraint on the situation of five days that you know everything has to move fast that there's a sense of urgency among everything and that's also intentional right because the whole concept of this is in essence you move on if you have faced your fears which is a weird way to go about judging someone's life yeah well and they do when he first meets his attorney bob diamond it's explained like you know what about kids and he's like well bob says you know kids automatically just go through but when they were judging him daniel it was like focusing a lot when he was a kid yeah yeah maybe it's just something to do with the the articulation but i don't i don't know or yeah. maybe it's just like a mercy thing yeah it's, uh, it's you know like i just yeah thought, like maybe what? some of these kids are you know would have they didn't have a chance to learn from those experiences into adulthood yeah yeah okay and then he was like they, the joke about teenagers he's like well what about teenagers and bob is like oh they go somewhere else 
Like they don't yeah, even say we, where. We've learned they're too much. <laughs> they're they're too much of a hassle to to take. Yeah, so we take them so somewhere, somewhere else. else. But yeah, and he's also Daniel is one of the younger people that have died because every he also makes a joke where he's like I'm under a hundred or something because everyone's just like really old and then other people have commented on that yeah there's there's a lot of extras in this movie and a lot of them are old white people it makes sense you know they they segment judgment city i guess and it, it's so like part of it is yeah but it makes sense that it's gonna be pre- predominantly older people but there's very few younger their age the the 40s yeah, like, there's it's, it's basically julia. him and julia and like maybe one or two others in the background but for the most part it's yeah there was White that guy that folk. he met at the sushi place that yes. seemed to be the same around the same age as him, but yes. I, yeah. Other than that, everyone's older. We meet. Yeah, Bob just tells him that you know he's gonna be his defense attorney and gives him the lowdown of what's gonna happen, and then the prosecutor is you know the dragon lady. Like, she's just known to be um, very harsh on the people that she judges, I guess. Yeah, very tough and typically wins. Yeah. Which means sending them back to, to, to Earth. Earth. For so, go. But, yeah, it's kind of implied. I mean, I think one of the smart things about this movie is that it really doesn't it's not have very any religion religious attached to it. Yeah. You know, it's just the concept of, yeah, you move on and you increase your brain power and you provide a better service to the universe as a whole. Whereas, like, in the grand scheme of things, people on Earth are basically, like, the infants and the toddlers of Mm -hmm. the universe. And then when you grow up and you learn to face your fears and use more of your brain power, then you go other places and do other things that we don't always know about. That's sort of the intention behind all of that yeah okay so he moves on and then yeah he's able to use more of his brain and experience more of what the universe has to offer exactly otherwise his soul will be just reincarnated back to earth and then you have to live another life and like attempt to move past your fears again and like keep doing it until you move on. Yeah, basically. And, and what, what? Yeah, and what Bob is saying is that sometimes people have lived hundreds of lives, and yeah. they still don't move on. And those are, you know, like the the less successful people, you know, the ones that you don't really want to be around too much, but they do exist. And yeah, the past lives pavilion is an interesting situation because of two things one is the 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 mild racism possibly i guess in the whole situation i mean there was Um, a couple of things that he did and said yeah or i was like that's not gonna fly today it would not have been yeah it would not have been written that way today even Um, i know the sushi restaurant was funny to me but i feel like that was mildly just yeah, like I mean, the it, it dealt with stereotypes yeah just the stereotypes. stereotypes of like going to any asian restaurant 
but we have been to places like that where they all like stop everything they're doing and greet you at the door yeah, and like, call and out it, different things, right? So like and that it makes does me laugh. still happen. <laughs> And so, like, yeah, that was a pretty funny scene at, at times because of the way they're so happy-go-lucky. And then the, the guy who's meeting with, uh, I forget I forget what the character's name is, but, like, the the other the other one next to Daniel uh, yeah. starts to get up. And it's like, okay, thank you very much. Thank you for coming. He's, He's like, like, no, I'm no. just going to go. I'm just going to go take a piss. I'll be right back. He's like, taking a piss, taking yeah, a piss. <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious, but, I mean, we've been to places like that where it's like that, so. Yeah. It's still I mean, funny, so I don't, whatever. That, that's, anyway. that also kind of just reminded me of L.A. story where you, the whole restaurant culture, I guess. Yes. Yeah, Little Settle jabs at society and, and, well, I don't know if jabs is the right word, but, you know, subtle commentary about society that's kind of sprinkled in, like, when they're at the Italian restaurant, right. and the overzealous waiter comes by and he's like, if you like cheese, I'm going to get you some cheese. If you like pies, I'm going to give you nine pies. We're going to get you some steaks. Like, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they just go, like, over Above the top. Above and beyond, yeah. yeah. To the point where, like, courteous is kind of uh, annoying. Right, yeah. and then you don't know, you don't know how to like put these people down. <laughs> yeah, you don't um, know how to be nice to them and and like get them to stop doing what they're doing because they're not accepting your calm, yeah. normal reactions as a true answer. It's like, no, I don't want the nine pies. Like, no, it's good. They're they're gonna keep. It's it's fine. And it's. Like, He's not going to eat all... That That was the other thing. It's like anytime... Because when you're in Judgment City, there he is told that you can eat whatever you want because you won't gain weight. And it's like this all-you-can-eat buffet situation. And every time he does sit down to eat, he'll have like one or two bites and then he'll be like whisked away to do something else. So he never yeah. really had like a proper sit-down meal. Except for maybe yeah. when he was with Julia, but they didn't really show it. They don't show a whole lot of it. Yeah, the, fine, one of the but... rules in this is that, yes, you can eat what as much as you want. You will never get full. It's going to be the best tasting food you've ever had, no matter what it is. It's the best version of whatever it is that you want. Um, everything's available to you. And, yeah, you can and just eat to your heart's content and obviously because you're dead you're not going to gain any weight so it doesn't matter it's really just for the sensation of yeah. it yeah and then the Which food sounds that wonderful to me that sounds like the perfect way to spend an afterlife yeah <laughs> so... um the food that bob eats like the attorneys i guess yeah or the people that work there at judgment the big city brains. they're the big brains the food that they eat he ha well he is daniel was like, well, because there was the one time where he had lunch with Bob just to talk about, you know, what's going to happen during his judging. And Bob is eating, like, I don't even know. It just looks like gravy with, like, random meat. And Daniel's like, well, what are you eating? And he's like, oh, you wouldn't like it because, you know, only the big brains will understand that it's like they just eat food for 
sustenance, not for like taste or whatever. That's what it seems like. Yeah, he's, he's like he's he, able to like manipulate his taste buds to basically make it taste like whatever he wants. Yeah. It's like, you know, but yeah, it just it, you know it looks like he's sludge. Like, you little brains wouldn't understand. So then Daniel's like, okay, I'll have a bite, and then he takes a bite, and he's like, this is disgusting. But yeah, yeah and Bob is like, see, I told you. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would like to be in a situation where I could just eat whatever I want. But that that's why the nine pies <laughs> comes in is because you know you can eat as much as you want. So he's like, I'll bring you nine pies. Like I don't want nine pies. Yeah, and then later it's... On you see him carrying two big boxes full of right. Pie. Like... Yeah, it's just like, hey, you like this? Let me give you 100 of these things. Yeah. And yeah, just like over overstepping the balance of courtesy in many cases. Uh, yeah, we kind of got off track. The, the past yeah. life's pavilion. <laughs> it's, which was, yeah, like, oh yeah, the past life's thing. <laughs> it, it was an interesting situation, um... It, that's a cool yeah because i would if there is like past lives and then i had to look this up there was like an article or whatever that i read because this is also like a jab or like i don't know not really a jab just like commentary be the shirley mclean thing apparently yeah. shirley mclean was very vocal around that time how she was like yeah i used she was very or she still is a believer of like reincarnation and past lives because i guess she's been on tv like around this time like she went on oprah i had to like read an article about this and she wrote it in her she has a memoir she wrote in her book about how like her past lives. She's like, I remember I was this person, this person, and this person. So I think including Shirley MacLaine as the host of that pavilion was just like commentary. Yeah, it's just, it's, for a, it's her a good joke for the audience. In reincarnation. Which I didn't, I mean, I didn't know any of that until just reading about this movie. I didn't know she was. Oh, and, and see, like, I, I knew about that at the time. Oh, okay. I, I don't know how or why I did, but I did. So, like, uh, but yeah, like, she claims that she can remember past lives that she's, um, yeah. that she's had, including, like, the Lost City of Atlantis. She claims that she had a life, uh, you know, like, her soul or whatever had, had a life uh, in Atlantis. Um, the, like, like uh, I know about it maybe because of Tiny Toons. Like, you know there is that character in Tiny Toons called Shirley the Loon? Mm. Named after Shirley MacLaine, probably huh, because okay. of this whole it's like, it's like you know how she's like more spiritual in nature and like kind of flighty. Yeah. It's kind of a take off of that. But as far as I know, like Shirley MacLaine and Albert Brooks are friends. They're friendly. They're running the same circles, and so yeah. um, you know, I think you know it's not a malicious joke in any way. I think it's just a way of like, you know, let's let's prove her right by putting her in okay. this little place, be the host of. The past lives pavilion and it's you know a nice little uh moment for people who are in the know um and then you know it's several different people and you can see everyone reacting to their different past lives and there's like people who are like sumo wrestlers or people who are little victorian girls um well and, and julia she was julia is the most confusing to me in a way 
because hers is Prince Valiant. Right. So she was all these... We only, when they did show the past lives, we only saw each person's one past life. Because you yeah, can see up to, to see... like, ten or something like that. Because they We take see, too like, long. multiple extras. We see their past lives as kind of like a, mon you know, like a... Yeah. Going down the line. Uh, because everyone's, like, brought in. It's like, take the, take the door to the left. Um, yeah, it's like going to... I can't think of that. Park ride, yeah, it's like going to Epcot. You know, yeah. I can't even think of that that world of that yesterday's tomorrow. What's that one? Yeah, yeah. With that moving thing. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called. But either. that's what it reminded yeah. me of. <laughs> um, so yeah, everyone's in their own separate station. They put their hand on the thing, and then they get to see X number of past lives. But we only see one X li uh, past life of our main characters and i i thought i remembered there being more but i guess i was just thinking of the other people non-leads yeah. yeah but what's uh, so daniel like the you can see the i can't think he's of the right word. always you know playing I mean? it well the person that he sees is someone who's like running it, it's like during it's, it's like a tribesman who is scared and running for his life from, from... like a dinosaur or something or a tiger or something like that. Yeah, so he um, it seems that's just like the juxtaposition of like juxtaposition, thank you. <laughs> it's it's um he his past lives it's like as if he it was always someone who was fearful. Yes. And with and then meanwhile Julia Julia with Prince Valiant. It's always someone who is Yeah, like brave and courageous, and I guess. But yeah. So if like her... that that brings to mind like okay well if that's the if that's the barometer for whether or not you move on then Prince Valiant surely should have moved on. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Right? Like if she's always been like a courageous, brave person in her past lives, how come her past lives didn't move on? So is that really true for everyone or is this just the barometer for Daniel? Mm. That's something the movie doesn't indicate. They do seem to indicate that it's all based on fear, but maybe that's just Daniel's test. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I mean, I really yeah. And then, well, in between that, it's so we get to the judging days where he just sits in a chair and he's got bob on one side and then the dragon lady on the other side uh, lena, lena foster yeah lena foster yeah. they call her the dragon lady but yeah her name is lena foster but it's just that one line of dialogue i nowhere in the movie otherwise do you hear someone calling her yeah that, not so. to their her face they don't call her the dragon lady to her face right. it's just like she's known as the dragon lady but um, it's just like this dark room where it's three tables and then one chair in the middle where he sits in. And then it's like this movie screen. And the way that they bring up something is by his age. So it's like the year, month, day. So it'll be like 9, 10, 17 or something. Which is, yeah, age 9... 10, 10 months, months and 17, 17 days. 
Which, I mean, because that was kind of... Because they started when he was one. Because it was like, let's go to one nine thirteen or something like that. No, they, they, they flash back to it afterwards. So, yeah, back that, and forth. That, that was like the defensive one. That wasn't the very first thing. The first thing they showed was him being bullied at the school. Okay, when he was like 10 years old or something. Yeah. And then they flash back to him with his parents fighting. And him like, you know, crying. At, at the at parents, his parents. yeah, okay. So I mean, it's a really, to me, a fascinating concept. Um, and when I was a film student, I had this idea for a movie that I'm only now realizing was inspired by this. <laughs> I never made it um, because it would have been too difficult for me to make as a student. But uh, this idea of like someone in a projection room looking at past incidents of their life and then you know talking about their regrets and then at the end realizing they don't have any because if things would have played out differently then they wouldn't have led the life that they had that was like the idea of my student film but like this is basically the same type of a thing mm -hmm. where someone's in a projection room seeing different moments of their life and then commenting on them um so again it just kind of goes back to the aspect of how secretly influential this movie has been to me evidently um i don't know, I, I just love the concept of being able to revisit your life and everything is recorded according to this universe logic so you see it as a cinematic production with cuts and shot reverse shot and all these other cinematic features because the universe is recording you at all times and so you can see these things. So that's that's the way they're able to kind of get around that. Like you're not looking at security footage. You're not looking at stage play reenactments. You're not looking at transcripts. You're looking at what it would have been at, in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to know what they're really trying to reinforce with some of these scenes, though. Because it's in that first scene like where his... he's getting bullied. Yeah, his the, the... fears. Like him coming overcoming his fears but then it's also kind of but, like showing shame or embarrassment too the the idea of also just fighting back is yeah. also a key thing for lena foster's position which i don't fully it's agree like, with like how, you know, what would a 10 year old boy what can he do as a 10 year old to be um like strong in that instance you know i don't know <laughs> well what lena is saying is like why did you not hit this kid back he yeah. is hitting you why did you not hit him back and so like that's why bob plays the clip of him being you know a afraid of, kid. It's like, yeah. look I, he's 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 showing restraint and this is where he got that example from right um so but and again I like mean... you know I, if he hit him back, wouldn't that also be a bad thing? Yeah, that, that's my point. It's like, <laughs> that, that, that's sort of what I'm trying to get to as well. It's like, some of the things they show as being negatives do not seem like negatives to me. Yeah. Uh, and like, there's definitely plenty of times where fear is the proper response. Like, if you're afraid of fighting back because you don't want to get hurt more or like don't want to trouble. get in trouble and get expelled 
or whatever, you know, there's valid reasons to not want to do certain things because of fear. Yeah. And that's something the movie doesn't really fully explore in that way. It's just fear is bad. Yeah. Bravery is good. I'm always living in fear. <laughs> so it's like, I'm not, I'm small brained. <laughs> I, I'm not brave yeah. enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've but talked I feel many, like many just... times in this podcast about how paranoid I was growing yeah. up and still have various different issues with I think that. you're, like, taught to live in fear. I don't... Yeah, maybe that's part of it, too, is, you know, like, you're taught to live in fear and you have to overcome Or just be that cautious, not, not like, overly... I don't know, because if you're, Yeah, like... there's a difference between being careful. Yeah. But if these, if the dragon lady thinks careful is fearful, that's why I'm just like, um, I don't know. The the judging is so weird. I don't know how to explain it. But I think like, there are certain like there are certain fears that I'm not gonna say they're not invalid, but they are things you could look past i just don't think that getting bullied on the schoolyard is one of them i think that the main takeaway that okay the whole thing is leading up to this situation where where he's with julia yeah the dinner with julia yeah he meets julia at this comedy club yeah they hit it off like instantly she actually comes over to him again showing her bravery right uh coming over to him it's like i knew you right like, I knew you back That's like her pickup line. Yeah, but, it, you know, they didn't actually know each other. You thought that maybe they would show each other in a in one of those flashback sequences, but that doesn't happen. No. Uh, and they, they hit it off. Uh, you know, they're, they're having really good conversations all the time, and, you know, they're meeting each other after the trial every single day. And at one point near the end, where it's basically like the last night of the trial, Julia's like, hey, come to my room. And Daniel says, no, No, I don't want to do that because I don't want to be judged anymore. Uh, I don't want to know, like, I, you know, like, what if it's a bad situation? What if it's too good? Basically, like, he's, he's acquiesced to the idea that they are definitely going to two different places. And right. it's and he doesn't want to remember her <laughs> even though he Yeah, won't. he hasn't reconciled the fact that they're not going to remember anything. Yeah. Or or I don't know if this is really sort of there or not. Maybe I'm just like trying to make excuses for the movie here. He knows he's going to forget no matter what, but he doesn't want to give Julia a memory of someone who's never going to be there with her. Mm, yeah. But either way, throughout the conversation, he starts to say, I'm afraid, but he stops himself because he knows that's a bad thing now. And he says, I just don't want to be judged anymore. But they use that in the trial against him. Right. And which is like unprecedented um, to do something from uh, Judgment City, I guess. They're like, you can't use a memory from current days it sounds like at least that's yeah, what his typically not done yeah yeah that's what his lawyer said 
with Bob said. But, I mean, Lena shows it anyways, and that's when the next day it is ruled that he will return to Earth. And then Julia is judged worthy to move on. I think it's a smart way to construct it. Yeah. It, it's it's something where it kind of turns the, the narrative on its head a little bit. Of, you know, like you're expecting all these different things. Then, it's like, yeah, this is part of the universe too. He's not learning his lesson. Let's force him to learn his lesson. Um. I don't know. There's so many like things that are unspoken in this movie that you could interpret a different way if you want to go beyond the surface of them. Like the whole, okay. Yes, there are trials obviously for everybody, but are Lena and Bob really on different sides or is this all big brain manipulation to get him to realize his true abilities is true calling right you know because what's happening is at the end i I still want to go back and talk about a little bit of the middle but at the end um the judgment's been made julia is going to move on daniel's been told he's not so they're on separate trams they're never going to see each other again but they do happen to see each other on those trams that are exiting and taking them away to their next destination. So Daniel escapes from his tram. Right. He breaks his lock. He he runs across like this airport tarmac looking thing with all these different vehicles coming across. He's getting electrically shocked as he goes through these different things. And he jumps on Julia's tram and bangs on the door and begs to be let in. And then you see them in the courtroom, all four of them, the two judges, the prosecutor, the defender, as if this was part of the setup, as if this were part of the deal all along, that they knew that they were going to be watching this. And they're like, let him in. And then, the, you know, he's able to get in. You get uh, they both move on and it's a happily ever after. Yeah. So, like, are they actually working? against each other maybe not that's what when they move on i was just thinking well then what i mean are there like i know there's no answers to this but it's like what if there's like another step when they move on Uh and you know what if julia has a is bigger brained like it i feel like it's gonna be a little bit more complicated yeah, it might be. But, <laughs> but I mean, everything's okay in the moment. I'm fine with it ending the way it did, but I was started thinking it could go further and further where it feels like Julia would always come out um, on top or something. Yeah. And that that's highly possible. Um, but I think it, it ends the way it needs to with, with him at least overcoming what he needs to overcome. I think that, you know, going back to a couple of different scenes, the replacement prosecutor yeah, that comes in, Buck Henry coming in as... Um, Dick Stanley. Uh, yeah, Dick Stanley. 
who I'm sorry, replacement defender replaces yeah, Bob for Bob for like a day for a day and he doesn't do anything really he just sits there in the corner he's like you know yeah he Lena presents really... her prosecution presents her arguments and, and it's like okay well now it's your turn to defend he's like i'm fine julia's her prosecutor her attorney so dan is telling <laughs> sam <laughs> like yeah i had a replacement uh, attorney today, Dick Stanley, and even Sam is like, oh yeah, quiet guy. So, everyone, he's a good, but he, they said that he uses more like 49% of his brain instead of like 47 like with Bob Diamond. So it's like, he's a little bit smarter. Um, yeah, and Albert Brooks like makes a little comment on that, or, or Daniel does, where he's like, I just came from a world where I'm you know, dealing with penis envy. Now I'm dealing with brain envy all the time because mm-hmm. everyone is saying, "Oh, that's that's confirmed. Forty nine percent. That's confirmed." You know, stuff like that. Um, they're very concerned about those individual percentage points, right? But again, I think you know the the whole Dick Stanley thing is purposeful. You know, again, a big brain. Like it just move speaks whatever because he's he's supposed to be silent and and not actually defending him so that Daniel will eventually stand up for himself. Yeah, the, like whatever his actions will speak for itself. Mm-hmm. And or that he will physically work towards defending himself better than he had. Like don't rely on Bob. Realize that you have to pull some of the work <laughs> because what he's been doing up to that point is he's basically been repeating what Bob says in his defense. So if Bob says, right. you know, oh, well this was, you know, and acting restrained yeah. and then they said well what do you think and he's like yeah i think i was acting very restrainful so he's just he's mimicking he's copying he's you know again like the toddler so this is all i don't know theoretical stuff we haven't really talked much about like the the comedic aspect too much so far it's not laugh out loud funny most of the time no i mean the the only time that I really laughed was when he was in the sushi restaurant, but I mean, but I'm also just kind of like smirking to myself or kind of, I don't know, whatever, being like, huh, okay, that's clever, but I'm not like, yes. I'm not um, like crying, laughing over something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's like certain parts that are pretty funny early on. I think there's, you know, some of the physical comedy that happens when he's like out of it or he's like trying to make certain faces to, mm-hmm. you know, um, elicit emotions when he doesn't have full control of himself. You know, like you know, he's talking to the porter in the hotel and he's like, do you have any questions? And he's like nodding and shaking his head at the same time and you have no idea which one is which. You know, there's, I don't know, but in general, yeah, it's it's mostly like clever rather than like fully fully funny. More, I wish there were a couple more belly laughs mixed in, because generally speaking, in terms of like the relationship side of things, I got a when Harry met Sally type of a vibe from like the love story part of it. Um, I know that might not make a whole lot of sense. I guess just in terms of when Albert Brooks is talking, and they, like when they're having their conversations between each other it's a lot of observational humor 
Okay. That's, that's sort of what I mean. It's like when Billy Crystal is talking to Meg Ryan, he's talking about the differences between men and women. He's talking about, well, you know, these things can't happen. Or, you know, my, my experience is this happens in life. Albert Brooks is saying the same type of stuff, just um, more about humanity rather than the differences between men and women. He's, you know, a lot of the conversations that they have are talking about just life in general, but it's observationally clever and somewhat poignant if you want to look at it that way. So that, that, you know, it gave me that kind of vibe. What I really liked was Meryl Streep's performance in this, though. I think she carries so much. Like, Albert Brooks is not a bad actor by any means. I think at this point he was Oscar nominated. Nothing to take away from him, but I mean, you're also working with arguably the greatest actress who's lived in a long, yeah, long like, time, if not ever. Yeah, to, like <laughs> of our time, I guess. I don't know. At, at, at least our time. Uh, and boy, does she just show how easy it is for her. I don't know. Like, it, she's flirty she's like respectful she's you know charming she's everything you want out of a romantic lead in this movie like full i I can't even articulate it i don't know i i just can't i don't it's something where like her ability to sell the relationship between those two yeah well to also be silly like when they're eating in that restaurant she's you know she's being silly and yeah she's being silly she's want she wants to have fun with the person that she loves yeah and he is trying to deny this because he is afraid of the prosecutor who's in the other table yeah he sees this lena embarrassing situation of someone eating with him yeah and being kind of goofy um and it's kind of a heartbreaking scene because like yeah like julia just wants to have fun with this man and which is basically like the last day of their time together probably yeah and he's trying to throw cold water on the fire it's it's disappointing (laughs) so and then, you know, you have the, the side story of the guy trying to bring the nine pies and the steaks and everything. But, I mean, they do have a good rapport when they're alone together, like when they're in the mini golf course and they're, you know, joking with each other. She's telling him how she died and he's making jokes about it. Uh, when they're in the comedy club and they make little quips to each other, too. You know, yeah, the, we didn't really talk about the comedy club, but, like the comedian there like the jokes are just they're extremely bad yeah roasting the people that recently died by just saying yeah you guys can eat whatever you want type of situation and And also just seeing how dumb they are because they're all little yeah they're little brains yeah and then when daniel walks in you know he makes the joke like, Meaningness, how did you die yeah, and he's like oh like, on stage on like st- you on stage like you julia sort of a, laugh, yeah. like notices that and laughs at that and then uh <laughs> they they want to leave and then the comedian is like no you have to stay for the song, to stay for the song. <laughs> 
and they're like, I <laughs> which is just a parody of that's life where he's just saying yeah. that was life. Yeah. Right. Which, and then it because it just gets a little worse. And that's when they're like, aren't you glad that you stayed for this song? And then, uh, Julia makes some sort of joke too. And then that's when Daniel's like, Oh, Oh my dad. Like he, he's also just like joking too. It's like, Oh no, I can't leave right now. Cause you know, that's, that's my it's father my dad. up there. And she's like, well, uh, like, oh, oh. No, really? possibly an inside reference to his real life. Yeah. His real father who was a comedian yeah, and Parkia, did Parkia carcass and did die least, on stage and did die on the friars club dais like immediately after giving his his like, roast yeah for lucille ball and uh, desi arnaz uh, so it could be an allusion to that but i you know except in this case the comedian was terrible Whereas in real life, Barky Carcass was popular. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I was honestly a little surprised that there weren't more inside jokes like that, if it were to be considered an inside joke. He's definitely making Daniel Miller to be his own person for the most part, rather than um, something like Woody Allen would do, where he basically just yeah. creates another version of himself. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Because it's, it's very easy to write what you know, and you know yourself better than anything else, but this definitely feels like, yes, he is, he's charming and he's comedic, but it's, it's, I don't know, it doesn't feel like we're watching Albert Brooks play himself in this at all. You know, he's not trying to, like, allude to things that he's done in his career or his past. He's not defending his actual life. He's creating this other person. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just get into cast and crew then, and and also awards. Uh, honestly, on the awards front, it's much less than I would hope, but uh, it is what it is. At the American Comedy Awards, it was nominated for Funniest Actor, um, and also at the Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Writing, Best Actress, and Best Fantasy Film. But it lost to Edward Scissorhands, which is weird because that's a 1990 movie. And also, you can count it as part of the Criterion Collection. That's another accolade. It's It has the spine number. Box office-wise, I think it did pretty well. I don't know what the actual budget was, but it's, you know, made $16 million. Not too shabby for something like this. Quite a decent cast overall, too. We get Albert Brooks as the director and writer, and also Daniel Miller. He is Oscar-nominated, like we said, for supporting actor for Broadcast News. Golden Globe and Spirit-nominated for supporting actor for Drive. He's the writer and director of Real Life, Lost in America, Mother and the Muse. As an actor, he's done Out of Sight, Finding Nemo, multiple episodes of Simpsons, and also uh, several SNL short films in those first five seasons of the show. Meryl Streep is Julia. We'll just go over some of her bigger accolades here. Oscar nominated for Garrity. Deer Hunter, French Lieutenant's Woman, Silkwood, Out of Africa, Ironweed, A Cry in the Dark, Postcards from the Edge, Bridges of Madison County, One True Thring, Music of the Heart, Adaptation, Devil Wears Prada, Doubt, Julian Julia, August Osage County, Into the Woods, Florence Foster Jenkins, The Post, and she's won for The Iron Lady, Sophie's Choice, and Kramer vs. Kramer. Emmy Award winner for Holocaust and Angels in America, and Five Came Back, and also nominated for First Do No Harm and Big Little Lies. 
Golden Globe 2017 Cecil B. DeMille Award winner. On the Grammy side of things, she's been nominated several times for children and spoken word albums, but has not yet won. And if you're EGOT chasing as well, she still needs the Grammy, of course, uh, but also needs a Tony, but she's only been nominated once back in 1976 for that. That's just the Oscar nominations, pretty much, that I mentioned there, too. <laughs> Rip Torn played Bob Diamond. We talked about him once before in Dolly Dearest. If you remember, he was in that movie. Why? <laughs> 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 it's still so weird that he was in Dolly Dearest. He's been in uh, other movies like Tropic of Cancer, A Man Who Fell to Earth, Beastmaster, Robocop 3, Men in Black, Hercules, and Dodgeball. Uh, Lee Grant played Lena Foster. Oscar winner for Shampoo, nominated for Detective Story, The Landlord, and Voyage of the Damned, Golden Globe nominated for In the Heat of the Night, the movie, not the TV show, Emmy nominated for Judd for the Defense, Columbo, The Shape of Things, Faye, and Citizen Cone, winner of an Emmy for The Neon Ceiling and Peyton Place, uh, Director's Guild Award winner for Nobody's Child, uh, on the directing side, she does quite a bit of stuff like uh, When Women Kill, Down and Out in America, No Place Like Home, and the Intimate Portrait series. On the acting front, she's done movies like Airport 77, Damien Omen 2, Mulholland Drive, and she had a big break in acting because she was blacklisted back in 1951 and could not get work for about a decade plus. There's a couple like smaller characters in here that I do want to quickly mention as well. Uh, Gary Beach was the car salesman at the at the beginning. He's the Tony Award winner for the producers. Also nominated for a Tony for Beauty and the Beast, where he played Lumiere at the initial stage production of the Disney's musical. Uh, he was also in La Cage of Fall, where he was nominated for a Tony. Um, he was in the 2005 producers film, um, and he's in a bunch of TV guest spots. But also, viewers may know him of our age as the ring salesman in that one episode of Saved by the Bell where he sold people the fake gold rings. That was him. Uh, Maxine Elliott Hicks was the elderly lady on the tram. We didn't talk about her scene, but where she's like constantly talking to him about her dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That, that was one of the funnier scenes too. Yeah. Where, you know, she's like, have she's... I asked you if you had a dog? Yes. What did you say? It's like, I said that I did. And what did I say? Anyway, Maxine Elliott Hicks, uh, she's been acting since 1913 in things like Poor Little Rich Girl and then Babbitt. And then she stopped in 1937 and then started acting again in the 1970s. So another big old gap in time, but, you know, just old school Hollywood represented here every once in a while. Uh, George D. Wallace was one of Daniel's judges. He is a World War II vet. He was uh, Commando Cody in the Radar Men from the Moon series. He was also in Forbidden Planet. In 1991, he's in the Son and Daughters TV show, Nurses, True Colors, The Haunted, and The Boys. Uh, Lillian Lehman was the other judge for Daniel. She also did a bunch of TV work like Emergency, Faye, L.A. Law, Sunset Beach, General Hospital. Buck Henry was Dick Stanley, the stand-in defense attorney that we mentioned before. Oscar nominated for The Graduate for writing and also for Heaven Can Wait for directing along with uh, Warren Beatty, who is Shirley MacLaine's brother. Uh, Emmy nominated for That Was the Week That Was. Also an Emmy winner for Get Smart. As a writer, he's done Catch-22, What's Up Doc, To Die For as well. 
which I didn't realize he did to die for. He's been an SNL host for the first, you know, five seasons of that show. And he was the very first five timer club member in 1991. He's also in the Linguini incident, the lounge people and something called Shakespeare's plan 12 from outer space. I'm assuming that's not available to watch streaming anywhere. And then we have Shirley MacLaine will be the last person I talk about because this is her only 1991 movie. Oddly enough, this little brief cameo, she's an Oscar winner for Terms of Endearment, nominated for Turning Point, Some Came Running, The Apartment, Irma Le Duce, The Other Half of the Sky, A China Memoir, which is a documentary feature that she directed. Yeah, and then otherwise, you know, on the acting side, she's done Trouble with Harry, Steel Magnolias, Postcards from the Edge, Around the World in 80 Days, you know, very accomplished actress, just in a little very brief throwaway line as her only appearance. Oh, and also Ethan Emery is there as like one of yeah. the school kids, but we've talked about him multiple times. Let's move on to true crime and pop culture. This movie was released um, March 22nd, 1991, and it was the same release date as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze. And that was on a Friday. Well, I know which one. <laughs> in the theater oh you saw in the theater i mean i am not <laughs> Tur- I, turtles too yes i did yeah, see that in the theater. uh but yeah like this was not day? released everywhere until um, april 5th april 5th most likely i saw a turtles 2 opening day yes that's very highly possible I, or at least opening weekend yeah i don't think i did <laughs> <laughs> Well, on I was opening a bigger, day, a bigger Turtles fan than you were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I Just remember slightly. seeing it, but I don't remember going like the day that it opened. So we have the TV guide, and I did notice something that was on MTV that I don't want to say it's tied to anything, but the scene, the comedy scene, and defending your life that was filmed at the comedy store in LA and I noticed on NTV that totally Polly was on Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I was like I'll talk about that since his mom owned the comedy store yeah I don't have too much I tried to find this episode, but I couldn't. So I just, I watched a couple of YouTube videos and uh, we can put it on the website because they're amusing. But Totally Polly started, it was just an MTV series. It's kind of like Wild Chicago. Okay. Where I don't think I ever watched Tolly Polly. It, it's so you know, Polly Shore started like he, the, how he became famous or like you know, well known was being a an MTV VJ like in the late 80s, and I guess because of his whole weasel, and then also like starting to go into movies like Encino Man he became more popular so he had the totally poly show and it's just a series that just kind of consisted of his character the weasel interviewing celebrities 
and he would perform like little bits and skits and then in also interview other comedians and but then in the it's only a half hour show but in between that he would uh, introduce a music video be like here's cradle of love or something like he'll do a skit and then be like all right up next cradle of love and then you know come back and be like the next skit or he would go the one episode that I'll share was the one year anniversary which was in 1991 because the totally poly started in 1990 and it ended in 1995 so I have the one year anniversary or I found it on YouTube and that episode is him going to Anchorage Alaska and he gets the key to the city from the mayor and it's very amusing because he's like you're the major mayor and he's he's like asking the mayor to repeat after him (laughs) Okay. I don't know. It's just really funny. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be sort of like um, what we encountered from the Bill and Ted's premiere. Yeah. So the, Except it, with skits involved, too. Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't watch this. I don't know why I wouldn't have watched it. I, I mean, I remember watching it. Cause, I mean, I remember seeing him on MTV a lot, especially when it was like, you know, spring break. Like, he was the spring break host for at least a few years on youtube there is a best of totally poly 2 which is like a half hour long of just random things so i can share that as well but i mean also i don't know if you want to talk about we also watched defending my life yeah the new albert Albert brooks documentary that came out on max directed by his friend rob reiner there's very little about this movie in there yeah the interesting thing is how how he casted for julia i guess because he was friends how he got meryl streep to play julia is because he was friends well, I mean, also, like, Shirley MacLaine is in that, too. But he was friends with Carrie Fisher because it's, like, based off of Carrie Fisher's life with her mom, Debbie Reynolds. And then he was also in the movie Mother with Debbie Reynolds. So it's, like, that tie-in. Yep. But that came later. Yeah. But yeah, that's they, how... Family friends with the Carrie Fisher family for a yeah. long time. He but... grew up in, like, the circle of Hollywood where, you know, like, Rob Reiner and other... Um, yeah, because they went to high school Hollywood together. Hollywood kids were all yeah. in high school together. But the way so. that he met Meryl Streep, and she's just like, oh, you're making a movie, can I be in it? Type of situation. Right. It's like, do you have a role for me? And he's like, oh, actually, yeah. I, he thought about it later, and he's like, actually, yeah, I do. Info that's, about yeah, that's, that's the only thing about that one, which is That's the only thing about defending your life. But, I mean, I didn't realize... I guess I just didn't realize a lot about Albert Brooks as a comedian. I mean, <laughs> like, this movie is... It's, like, his comedic style was very... Yeah. Um, at the time, they were... Because they interview other comedians saying how, you know, this is just, like, how 
out of the box. He would think out of the box and all his stand-up was very um, avant-garde at the time, like in the 70s. Yeah, late 60s and 70s is when he really came up in all the types of variety shows and the Johnny Carson show and his his bits were all, you know, not counterculture, but just counter anything else that you would see surreal avant-garde just things that are uh, way beyond the norm right which and, i didn't but know but not in like a i don't know not like in a artsy fartsy way that would be uh standoffish or pretentious either so it's like this interesting dichotomy of you know having something that's just so original and a lot of these bits that he did he said were basically done for the very first time on these national broadcasts because he didn't go like, and rehearse it he just yeah he just came like up came up with it, it on the fly yeah and which is mind-boggling yeah it's it's just so it's so frantic and frenetic most of the time too and so if if you're aware of his stand-up stuff defending your life is not like that defending your life is much more of a cerebral yeah relaxed toned down and that's thing. like and that's sort how... of what he's geared towards near you know like as his life has progressed yeah. he starts off with like the wild counterculture type stuff and then he's becoming more inward and analytical but it's still fascinating no matter what it is it's just a different style yeah and yeah i just didn't know that i didn't know anything prior to i guess the 90s of what albert brooks did like comedically yeah i mean Unless... I've, I've seen the clip of him doing the imitation of curly dozens of times you know where he puts the baked potato in his mouth and makes johnny carson like oh, laugh harder yeah, than he's yeah. ever laughed before um but i knew him from the simpsons I yeah knew him from defending your life and I've seen Finding Nemo. I've... Like, that's kind of it. Like, I, I have not, like, even as much as I loved Defending Your Life as a kid and kind of forgot about it and then re rediscovered it and, you know, now get to revisit it again here for the podcast, I've never seen real life. I've never seen Made modern in America. Modern Romance or anything? I've never seen, or, or Lost in America. I've never seen Modern Romance. But and they my, all look why very... Haven't I, why have I not? Yeah, they all know? look really interesting, and I do want to see them. Yeah, like, how why, how, and why did I miss these? That's how I felt. All of those movies look very Woody Allen-ish to me. It's it's kind of from the same school, same era. Um, I think he gets lumped in with Woody a lot. Woody's more prolific, um, but Woody's also tends to be more one note whereas albert brooks thinks of a concept of a movie and then builds everything around it so like real life is the, real life is you know like the idea of reality tv like when that's first like starting up because of like a pbs documentary that happened yeah and that's... like I'm, I'm seeing this trend that's probably going to start let me make a commentary film about that you know uh, so we're getting way off topic here but yeah like long story short like we should watch his stuff. I have a VHS copy of The Muse, for God's sakes, that I've had for like 20 years. I didn't know a lot about Albert Brooks's life, especially growing up. 
and about his parents and I didn't know much about it except for his later movies I guess like seeing him in Drive and this is 40 and then you know The Simpsons Finding Nemo to be honest with you I didn't even know that Super Dave Osborne was his brother until like a you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, you know, Bob Einstein is his right. brother. Yeah. yeah. Bob Einstein. I know because I would watch, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and yeah. And, uh, he's also in like an episode in Curb Your Enthusiasm. One of the unique comedians of the era. Should we move on to rankings and ratings? So where on your one to five star scale are you going to put defending your life? Uh, I'm going to give this a four. Controversial for you? No. <laughs> this, is the first, this is the first time I'm not saying controversial. <laughs> okay. um, I, I feel like I was going to go a lot higher than you just because of my nostalgia and, and history with this movie. Um, but it sounds like we're kind of in the same realm. On my zero to four star scale, I'm going to say it's a three and a half. Again, I'm, I'm probably rating it a little bit higher just because I have like this. I don't know. I, I just, I connected with this movie a lot more than others that I watch. I don't really know why, but it just resonates with me. Um, every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch it again? Uh, yeah, but not right away. I mean, I'd, I'd I watch, would watch it his other stuff and then go back to this movie. I, I, I definitely do want to try to watch his other stuff at some point, especially after watching the documentary. It just sort of feels like it, it feels like a blind spot now Yeah, um, that needs to be filled in. So, uh, but yeah, it, it, this one I would watch anytime. I'm honestly kind of surprised. Like when I was growing up in high school, uh, I would have a few different movies and my regular VHS rotation. I did not have the VHS for this at the time. If I did, it would have been one of them. It would have been like in there with like Billy Madison. (laughs) Okay. And and can't hardly wait. It would have been in the VACR that many times. So for me, yes, anytime I'll watch it again. If you out there want to watch Defending Your Life as of this recording in December, 2023, it's available on Max, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies, long show notes, and more. Next week, we've defended our life. Now it's time to do or die. That's on Tubi, Full Moon, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then.